Well, it's great to, to be able to preach again, and it's great that we can always come and celebrate birthdays and anniversaries and things that God is doing in people's lives. That's what we like to do as a church. We celebrate. And the thing that we get to celebrate the most when we come together is we celebrate the gospel of Jesus, that the gospel is the power of God for everybody who believes. And so let us come to prayer, and we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1 and 2. Dear Lord God, we need to hear your good news. We want to celebrate what you have done and what you do to, in us and to us. Not the words of a preacher, Lord, or pastors, but Lord, your word, through your Holy Spirit, apply it to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First Peter chapter 2 is where we are, verses 4 through 12. Yep, we're good. Um, so in First Peter chapter 2, we're, we're talking about this passage. Um, but before that, have you ever seen the TV show The Joy of Painting with Bob Ross? It's on Amazon Prime. You can, you can get it. It came in the 80s uh, and into the 90s. And I remember watching The Joy of Painting with Bob Ross where, where he would paint these beautiful mountain landscapes and forestscapes. And he had the most incredible groovy afro, as you would say. And uh, my mom, I would watch it with my mom, and she had, back in the day, the big, big curly hair. And uh, the, watching The Joy of Painting was the most like therapeutic 30 minutes of television ever because he would just talk about, oh, look at this beautiful little tree and, and look at those little little uh, mountains and, and all these things. And, and all of a sudden, you'd be watching him in the middle of his painting and he'd talk about something and then he'd splatch this bluish, brownish spot all over the canvas. And I would look at it as, my, as a little kid and I'd say, uh-oh, Bob, what are you going to do now? You made this big, ugly spot on your canvas. You've done messed it up now. How are you going to fix it? But Bob Ross, he had just the eye. He had just the eye to keep painting. And, and then suddenly, out of this ugly blob, this beautiful tree or this beautiful forest uh, background would just emerge. And all of a sudden, there's this incredible, beautiful painting. You see, in my sight, this canvas was something ugly, wasted, and to be rejected because it got spots and blotches all over it. But in Bob's sight, in Bob's sight, it was chosen and precious, and he made a work of art, a masterful work of art from it. And here's some good news for you and me this morning. It's that you and I may see some ugly spots and great mistakes in the canvas of your life and of my life, but God is making a chosen and precious masterpiece in your life. And the reason that I know this is true of you, brother and sister in Christ Jesus, is because this is the truth about Jesus' life. It's the truth about His life. The canvas of Jesus' life was one of, he was blemished by men. He was rejected because they didn't like him. And the world rejected him. But in God's sight, Jesus is chosen and precious. High above the rest of majesty, he is a masterpiece. And the good news for you and me is that he is the foundation of our life. Everything that we are rests entirely upon all that Jesus is. 
Everything that we are rests entirely upon who Jesus is. And that is the theme of this passage this morning. And so we're going to look at two things. We're looking at who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. And then we're looking at who we are. Because the entire foundation of who you and I are is based upon who Jesus is. So who is Jesus? Verse 4 says, As you come to Him, you come to Him, and He is a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. And then you go down to verse 6 about this stone. And it says, Behold, I am laying in Zion, that is, the chosen people of God. I am laying in the middle of the people of God a cornerstone, a stone that is chosen and precious. The cornerstone, this is something if you've grown up in the church, you've heard this terminology before, but the cornerstone is basically is what we would call the foundation stone. It's the, the stone where everything comes together. It's the most important stone. Without it, there is no building. We would say it's the foundation on which the temple is built. It is the pillar on which the church, the body, is built. And so who is Jesus? Jesus is the ground. Jesus is the ground on which we stand. All of who, all of that we are, all what we are, rests upon who He is. He is the foundation. This is what Scripture is telling us. He is the foundation so as the, form, as the cornerstone and as the foundation, then who is he? The scripture tells it right clearly right here. He is rejected by men, by society. But in God's sight, he is chosen and precious. He's honored. He's beloved. He's loved. And you, know, you and I, we only have to do a surface reading of the Gospels to get this. To understand this is who Jesus is. Rejected, but chosen and precious. Think about his rejection. He was born in a feeding trough, in a manger, when there was no room for him in the inn. He escaped genocide from Herod when he was a baby. There was no place for him to lay his head during his earthly ministry. And then at the very end of his life, all 12 of his followers, his closest friends, abandoned him. And one of them even rejected him. The liberal Sadducees and the conservative Pharisees, they rejected him. The pagan Romans, they crucified him. His death on the cross was an intentional mockery. A public exposing and shaming death of Jesus. Complete rejection. He was rejected by humanity. And yet, what do we know about him in the Gospels as well? That he himself was chosen and precious in God's sight. At the very beginning of his ministry, you remember when he was going to be baptized in the river by John. What happens? The the Holy Spirit in the form of the dove comes down and God says publicly to everybody around to know this about Jesus. This is what God says. He says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And at the end of three years later, fast forward, right before he's going to go into Jerusalem and be crucified, he goes up to this mountain with Peter who wrote this and James. And God shows Peter and James 
the glory of Jesus, the Son of God, and the light of God's face shines upon Jesus, and it's an astounding, incredible glory. And you know how Peter is. He just starts babbling because, you know, some people, when they don't know what to say, they just start babbling. And Peter starts babbling nonsense. And this is what, Jesus, this is what God says about Jesus before he goes into Jerusalem. He says, Peter was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. You see, the point here that we see in the Gospels is that even in his rejection on the cross, even in his rejection by all those around him, it is not an ultimate rejection. This is Jesus. Jesus experienced the brokenness and rejection, and suffering, and trial, and yet at the very exact moment, who is He? He's the Beloved. He is the Beloved One of God. He is forsaken and Beloved, rejected, but still loved. This is Jesus. So do you see how this can be encouraging to you and to me this morning? The experience of brokenness and suffering in your life, it's not abnormal to the Christian life. It's not weird. Jesus suffered. Jesus was broken. Jesus was rejected. And He is the foundation, the cornerstone of who you and I are. Suffering and brokenness is not for the bad Christians. It's not for the the Christians who aren't living in faith. It's not for the Christians who aren't experiencing the abundant life right now. It is the very experience of those whose life is built upon Jesus. Suffering doesn't mean that you and I are not loved. It does not mean we're not loved. It just means that, in fact, you and I get to identify with Jesus in His sufferings. And He is chosen. And He is precious and honored in God's sight. Think some more about what this means for us. There's a movie that I have that I love, and I've probably talked about this before. It's called The Lego Movie, which came back came out in 2014. And I think this is a perfect picture of society in a way. So the main character, his name is Emmett. And Emmett is just your everyday construction worker Lego. And he has a kind of a sad life. Right? And he gets up in the morning and he, he gets in traffic and he commutes to the workplace. And as he's going on his commute in his sad little life, he's in his car. And if you've seen the movie, it starts out and, they, and there's a billboard. And it says, enjoy popular music. And so he's like, okay. And so he's driving on his car to his sad job in his sad life. And he puts on the popular music. And this is what the song goes. And you know it. It says, everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. Everything is awesome when you live in the dream. Right? And then it ends with saying, I feel more awesome than an awesome possum. Dip my body in chocolate and frost and three years later, wash off the frost and frost and smell like a blossom. Everything is awesome. Stepped in mud, got new brown shoes. It's awesome to win and it's awesome to lose. And you know the story is that it's his whole world is being run by evil lord business who's going to destroy the world with craggle which is crazy glue. But everything around they're singing everything is awesome. Whether you lose whether you win everything is awesome. 
What's our takeaway from this movie? Don't enjoy popular music. Just listen to like indie rock or all rock, right? I mean, that could be, I mean, good, good advice for you, but no. Our society does not have a framework for brokenness, for suffering, for hardship. And so what do we do? Just like in the Lego movie, just like Emmett, we pretend, pretend everything is okay. Everything is awesome. When it's not. And so we numb ourselves until we think everything is okay. But we who are in Christ Jesus, we do not have to despair and we do not have to numb ourselves into pretending that everything is awesome when it is not. Jesus was not living the dream. Everything was not awesome in his earthly life. Jesus was broken, suffered, experienced rejection, but in the sight of God, chosen and beloved. And so as it is for him, all of you rests upon him on the foundation. This is the reality of our life. We don't have to pretend everything is awesome. Because we also, he is beloved, and so are we. And so the second, second point, if this is who Jesus is, he's the foundation who is rejected, but chosen and beloved. Who then are we? Who are we? Uh, verse 6. Look at it with me. He says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, a chosen and precious one. This is Jesus. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Why are believers in Jesus not put to shame? Because by faith, all of you, all that you are, is based upon the foundation of all that He is. And He is chosen and precious in God's sight. And so are you by faith in Jesus. And there's no shame for you ever. Because He is the foundation of your life. To just comment about those who don't believe. That those who don't want to rest upon Jesus. That they will stumble later. They didn't want, this is what they wanted, even as it was destined. They didn't want their shame to be covered by Jesus. But hear this for you who believe in Jesus. But for you and I who believe in Jesus, whose life is resting upon Jesus, there is no shame for you. There is no shame, only honor before God. And so I want us to think about three aspects of this honor, of our chosen and honored identity. One is that this is a chosen and honored identity in community. It's a communal identity. It's across our lines of difference, and it is by the mercy of God. So first, who are we as chosen and precious? It is that we are, in fact, the chosen and precious community, the people of God together. The church. It says here in verse 4, as you, that's a Greek for as y'all, as you all, in real southern it's like youans, as you all come to him, chosen and precious, you yourselves together are being built up into a house. This chosen and precious identity, you notice here it is singular 
for Jesus, but in the Scriptures and in the New Testament, it is always in the plural for us. It is us. So what Peter assumes here is that to come to Christ is to come into his community. To come to Christ is to come into his community. To experience that you and I are chosen and beloved by God. It takes a village. It takes the church. The spiritual household is what Peter says. And I know that these passages, in some sense, they push against our individualistic culture. And in some ways, they even push against a collectivistic culture. So I, as you know, I grew up in Central America, and I spent a lot of my time growing up recent years here in El Paso. So as an Anglo guy in Latino culture. In Anglo-American and evangelical culture, we are deeply, deeply individualistic. And so when we read the you here, in my culture, we always think it's you singular. Like me, myself. And sometimes in Hispanic culture, when you see the, the you, we think us, as in family. As in like my biological family. But here, what you must and I must realize, that the y'all, it's us, God's people, not just our biological family, not just me. It is that we together are the chosen and beloved people as a community, as a church. And you may not realize this, but this is in fact meant to be really good news for you and me today. Because think about why, why is it that rejection hurts so bad in our life? Rejection hurts because it's the group that rejects you. It's the people. It's not just one person. You think about if you are on Instagram and you see a bunch of people having fun together. And you are left out. Maybe you are intentionally excluded. What makes that rejection hurt so bad? It's because it's the group that rejected you. Our rejection, oftentimes, it's from, it's from the mob. It's the group. It's the people. It's the internet people. But we are a real people, physical people, who need the people of God, the community, to remind us that together we are the chosen and beloved people of God, that He loves us. We're meant to feel our belovedness, that we are loved together. And that's how we feel it in real life. It's how we feel it. And you think about how did Israel, how did Israel survive exile and conquest and anti-Semitism? Because together on the Sabbath, they came together and they worshipped the Lord and they knew that they were the beloved people. Or you think about the early church. That maybe you suffered financial loss or exclusion because you didn't worship Caesar. But on the Lord's Day, in the early church, you came together and you had the love feast and you knew that you were chosen and beloved together. Or in the black church, under slavery and in Jim Crow, you'd spend six days in hard labor, being treated like a nobody, looked down upon. But on Sunday, but on Sunday, you come together and you know that you are part of the chosen and beloved people of God. And so it is with us. We may be rejected in the world. We may be, feel our brokenness. But when we come together, we are reminded that you and I are brothers and sisters, beloved together. And we need to remind each other of that. So it's 
about group. It's about the people of God together. And this gets to the second part of our chosen and honored identity. We are the chosen and honored community of God's people across lines of difference. What do I mean? We are, we are as the people of God, as a church, we are a diverse people. What do I mean? Verse 9 says this. Talking to Jews and Gentiles together. Jews and Gentiles together. Peter says, but you all are a chosen people, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. See, the categories were in this world, Jew versus Gentile race. Priests versus the regular people, the lay people, and even maybe Israel as the priests. But we are a royal priesthood, and Israel then was marked out as different, as separate by very specific distinguishing lines. But this is what he says, you all now, together, are chosen people. Because what happens in the plan of redemption, Jesus came and he accomplished our redemption and the Holy Spirit of God began to apply. And now the Spirit of Jesus, what does he do? He applies redemption to us so that we who are Gentiles and Jews together are the chosen and precious people. And Gentiles is all of us, you know, black, white, Asian, Native American, all these people called together by the Spirit's calling, by the Spirit's choosing we're chosen from across these lines of difference. Jew and Gentile. And by the Spirit's empowerment, now you and I, both clergy and lady, elders, deacons, everyone, we offer spiritual sacrifices because Jesus gave his body once for all as a sacrifice. Furthermore, what makes us different and distinct? It's not marked out by external food or the way we dress, by not having tattoos or tattoos or smoking or none of those things. What makes us different? It is Jesus. Jesus is what makes us holy and separate. It is Jesus. And so what makes us uh, together? It's not these different things that are boundaries. It's now that Jesus brings us together across these lines of difference, Jew and Gentile, priest and laity, uh, holy nation together. From across these lines, we are the chosen and honored people of God. Think about what this means. Being part of the church, being part of the people of God, it's not like joining, it's not like being part of a social club. Jesus builds us together from across generations, sexes, languages, ethnicities, races, political convictions, whether we listen to cumbia or classical, whether we listen to Bach or bachata. He brings us together and we celebrate Jesus. We praise His glory. The way Peter talks about who we are is that we are a foreign people. We're different. Because of Jesus, we are a foreign people in the world. We are an immigrant people. But the ethical implications here are that you and I as Christians are never fully comfortable in this world. We're never fully comfortable in our culture. This is what he says in verse 11. I urge you as sojourners, as immigrants and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. 
You see, the passions of our country of origin would be like this. They reject you, slander them even harder. You feel demeaned and powerless, turn them into objects of your consumption. But we are foreigners to this. Peter says, "Uh uh-uh, that's not us. As foreigners, we abstain from those passions of the flesh. Instead, we do good. They reject us. We bless them so that when on the day of visitation, they may glorify God. Now, I recognize, and you and I recognize, that we fail all the time. I have spots. The church, we have ugly, ugly blots on the canvas that God is painting. But we praise God that this identity, this community of people, of church that is beloved and honored before God across our lines of differences, we can rejoice that this identity is not something that we do, it's not something we achieve, it is received by Jesus. That we are founded upon the spotless blood of Jesus. And that's lastly, this identity that we are the chosen and precious people is based upon the mercy of God. It is based on the mercy of God. It is the mercy of God that He is the one here who says He called us out of darkness. We didn't receive mercy prior, but now we have received mercy. And this echoes God's words in Isaiah. It says, Fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And listen to this. He says, Because you are precious to me and honored, and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for you. Who are we? We are precious to Him, and we belong to Him because of His mercy alone. And this is good for news for us. Because together we are like a Bob Ross painting. We've made some ugly spots in our lives, and it looks like we've done messed up the church. But God is not done with us. He's turning the church, us, into a masterpiece chosen and precious as Jesus himself is chosen and precious, highly exalted. And so we can praise his excellencies today together. Let's pray.